Welcome to today's message from Refuge Point Church. We would love for you to join us for one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org. Or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play. Now, here's today's message. So if you have a Bible, why don't you grab it, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians, Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. You all okay? Yep. Okay. 95% of you who aren't okay, you'll get there. Oh, man, man. 99%, all right. We've got a lot of sad Auburn and Georgia fans in the house this morning, right? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. Um, this is, uh, man, sit down. Uh, this is an incredible passage. So we've been going through uh, a look at our doctrine as a church. And so we've, we've covered things like uh, the doctrine of the Bible, what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about God and Jesus, Holy Spirit, what we believe about uh, even the church, and today I want us to look at another element uh, that's pretty much an essential uh, belief of all believers, and that's uh, salvation. This is a uh, comes from a fancy word of soteriology, which is a uh, me, which means just a doctrine or the theology of salvation, and that's what I want to look at. And Paul is going to give us an incredible outline of what that is, what salvation is, and how it works. And so, here is an incredible passage. So, so my boy Paul, he, he writes to the church of Ephesus, and he gives us three chapters, uh, one, two, and three, about our doctrine and about what it means to be a believer, and then what he's going to do after that. He's like, all right, so now that you have an understanding of what it means to be a believer, now here's how you live that out. And so the last three chapters of Ephesians gives us a practical way of living out our faith, uh, in, in Christ. And so what I want us to do is look at what it means to be saved and, and what Paul is going to give us, uh, the state of our humanity, but he's going to give us some pretty powerful news. All right, So Paul's going to be very, very forceful in what he says to us. So I want us to read uh, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read about 10 verses, and then I'm just going to yell and scream, and we'll be out of here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you, all right, so he's talking to who? You. Yeah. He's talking to me. No. He's talking to you. He's talking to every one of you. Everyone from all decades and years, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. This is the most encouraging thing that you can hear. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. I'll get to why it's so encouraging this morning. In which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also and, and here's a powerful little interjection 
a conjunction that comes into this, uh, what Paul is saying here, but God, right? That's the most profound thing you'll hear throughout all of this. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive in Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. So now like the transitions, now, now it's a past tense. You were dead in your trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, because you ain't that good. I just added that in there. It is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. And I know this is one of my favorite scriptures right here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. I love this. You. This is an incredible indictment that we all need to hear. Because what our culture is going to say is that you're not the problem. People who have wronged you are the problem. But Paul is dropping an immense bomb into the culture that's hearing this when he says that you, you were dead. You are your greatest enemy. There's, there's not another person in this room who will fool you more than you will. Okay. And Paul is saying that you, you were dead. Not just your mom and your daddy who did you wrong. Not just your neighbor who did you wrong. Not just the people. And I think that's, that's culturally offensive because what we want to do is the reason why I am the way I am is because of my upbringing. The reason why I do the things I do is because of my past, because so-and-so hurt me, because this person said this about me, so I had to retaliate. They made me do it. Isn't that what our culture teaches us? Yes, it's yes. honestly Amen. all about you. You're not the problem. But here's Paul countering what our culture is teaching us and saying, you are dead. Like, that's crazy. And dead is crazy, too. Because, and I'm not trying to make light of deadness, but if you've ever seen someone dead, it's quite traumatizing. Yeah. We're helping to go through the funeral home. Help us, Lord. <laughs> Listen to me now. Being dead, you can only do one thing when you're dead, and that's be dead. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a, uh, yeah, there, there's some biology for you uh, this morning. You can thank me later, right? <laughs> And I've witnessed and I've seen dead people. I've even been in the ICU where people have breathed their last breath. And there ain't nothing funny about it. It's actually kind of traumatizing to you. You never forget that. And here's what I've noticed throughout my years, my young years as a person, that I've never seen a dead person do anything. I've never seen in a funeral a dead person get up and say, Oh, preacher, you're wrong. I wasn't that good. I mean, have you? 
I mean, that would be like incredible news in the making, breaking news. Someone just automatically raised themselves up from the dead just to prove the preacher that they weren't good and their goodness made them to heaven. Because that's what you hear at every sermon in a funeral. You are dead, which means you're lifeless. You bring nothing to the table in your dead state. Paul is making a very strong case in the reality of who you really are. You're dead, not just dead, but you're dead in your sin. So now what Paul is giving us is a description of you are a lifeless walking zombie. You externally look like you're alive, but internally you are rotten to the core because you're dead. Sin. You're dead in your sin. Now, sin is an interesting word that he's using here. And I think sin is often overlooked in our Christian culture because we don't really want to talk about sin. Because all we want to talk about is how good we are. Well, baby, you know, just clean yourself up and you'll be all right. And all we want to talk about and hear about is just grace, 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 grace. And yes, we're going to get into grace because grace is the good news in all of this. But hear me, sin, it is not just some external thing that we do. Sin is the essence of who you are internally. So, so in, other words, in other words, sin is not just an external expression it's an internal reality. So, so sin isn't just you saying, well, I, I'm an addict. Well, I, I got a lust problem. Sin is like the heart issue. Think about that for a second. And, I, and I, I've said this, I say this all the time, so this isn't anything new. If sin were just the external thing, and you try to fix yourself with, I don't know, maybe it's the addiction, maybe it's a lust problem, then what are you going to do when you fix the problem? You're going to try to chase something else. Okay. So what you're doing is you're not getting at the root of it, and the root of it is your heart. Okay. Sin, we can, we, can, we can look back in Genesis chapter 3 where the entrance of sin comes into the perfected garden that God creates with Adam and Eve. And, and here's what happens. Here's the lie of the enemy. Here's what sin did to us. And what sin wants to tell you is that sin is the better way. In other words, my way is better. Look at, look at this, next, this next part of this verse. In which you previously lived according to the ways of the world. Now, according to which you lived, which was the ways of the world. So you have been following after a pattern of the world. And the world is what they're going to do. They're going to paint to you a pretty picture that says, our way's better. Your way's better. And let's just give the world some credit. It's pretty attractive. I thought I'd have an amen right there. Apparently you've never sinned. <laughs> because sinning can be fun sometimes. Oh, y'all don't. Y'all must be the sanctified crowd because they were amen and a lot more. And the 930, yeah, they just, you're just scared. And it's true. Yeah. And if you don't believe it, you ain't sinning right. <laughs> I'm not advocating for you to go into a sin palooza. I'm just saying, sometimes it 
does my soul very well to yell at somebody and to, to scream at them and blow my horn and to get in fits of rage and anger and have my wife fuss at me the rest of the way home. I'm not saying this happened last night, but anyway, um, this, it's actually kind of fun. It's actually kind of fun sometimes to ag her on, and it's not fun later on the night when she won't talk to you, but anyway, we're going through couples counseling now, I guess, and we'll see how that turns out for us. This is the reality of who we are. We are, are born into this state of deadness, into a state of sin. And if you don't believe what I just said, if that created some kind of theological conundrum for you, then my friend, you must not have children. <laughs> Every single one of my children, it seems like the moment they pop out, they're selfish, right? And then when they walk around a little bit and they begin to scream and bite and, and they begin to throw themselves on the ground because you take away a sharp object that they should be playing with. That actually happened. And, and they start throwing a tantrum. I'm like, bro, you're one? How do you even know how to do this so well? <laughs> it's, it's the nature. So Paul is painting... A very, very uh, incredible picture of who you are. And here's the reason why. You'll never understand the beauty of God's grace if you don't really understand the nature of who you are. Because for me, and I'm just saying for me, the grace of God is so captivating and so beautiful, the more my dead state becomes a reality to me. The more I realize how dead I was, the more beautiful God's grace is. Paul wants us to understand this because that's Paul's point in that. He wants you to understand who you are, you, dead, sin. And it's a universal indictment on the whole human condition. Paul would later say this in Romans chapter 3, that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it ain't just you. Every single one of us. So now it is your neighbor. Everybody. But Paul wants to specify in this reality of who you were pre-Christ. Now, there's going to be a powerful little comma, but God. And this is incredible. You need to get this. Uh, because God's plan wasn't just to leave us in the state of our deadness. Okay, amen. This is the power and the beauty of the gospel. Yes. That your state of deadness uh, doesn't have to be that way. And so in, in the Old Testament, you see glimpses, you see shadows, and you hear prophecies, and you read prophecies about the salvation that is to come. So here is, in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, sin comes in, lies to them. They believe that their way is better than anybody's way. Okay. Their way of life is better. Their way of handling situations is better. Their way of marriage is better. And then what they do is they fall into that trap until it isn't better. And so here comes God, doesn't leave them hanging with this universal indictment that you are all dead in your sin. 
He's going to give them glimpses of the salvation that is to come. And so we get my boy Abraham who leads his son Isaac up to sacrifice him. Sounds incredibly cruel, and it is. But listen to this, and I want you to see a glimpse of the salvation that God has given us as a hope that sin is not the end of our world. Here's Abraham carrying some wood on a three-day journey, going to sacrifice his son. Y'all see this? Do I need to paint a picture or do a graph or something? It's a picture of the coming Christ at the right moment when Abraham's about to go. Isaac is bug-eyed, like, you really are going to kill me. I thought I loved you. You loved me. At the right moment, the angel of the Lord stops, and here is what? A ram. I mean, come on. A glimpse of the salvation that is to come. Now, you know, if, if you ever struggle with thoughts that the Bible isn't true, this is just incredibly profound because this shapes the whole narrative of Scripture and never veers off of that. I mean, throughout all of the Old Testament, you get glimpses of salvation and then you get the prophets, like somebody like Isaiah who comes in in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, when he says that for unto us a child is born. It's almost Christmas time, by the way. Merry Christmas. A son will be given to you, and what? The government will be placed and rest on his shoulders, and they'll call him what? Wonderful counselor. And stop for a second. Who does Jesus say who's coming after him in John chapter 14 and 16? The paraclete, the counselor. Got a little Trinitarian doctrine in Isaiah chapter 9 for us. Not only... Is there a glimpse of the Holy Spirit in here? But then he says, his name will not only be Wonderful Counselor, but what mighty God, Prince of Peace. His kingdom will have no end, and his prosperity will reign forever. Isaiah chapter 43, again later on, he says in verse 10, that there was no God before me, none after me. I am the God, your Savior. Here is Isaiah painting an incredible picture to us, not giving you some uh, nativity scene that's to come. He's painting to a picture that God's going to keep his promise that death and sin cannot even stop what he's going to do by providing the Savior. Amen. Amen. And so here's Paul wanting to draw us all back from what did God do for us that you, in your filth, in your mess, in your deadness, Christ has come and made us alive? But God, who is rich in mercy, and I like this right here now, who's rich in mercy, it's somewhere because of his great love. That he had for us, made us alive in Christ. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. Like, I love the force of this passage because he's saying that God 
has done the work for you. Because if you're dead, you can't do nothing. I've seen it firsthand. I done told you this. Dead person, they get an invitation to go somewhere. Guess what? I ain't going. You know why? Thank you. They're dead. So what's the hope? You're dead. Like that is the universal indictment that has been given to us. This powerful little conjunction here gives us the hope that we need. But God, who brings us from our deadness and makes us alive, who turns us from, I used to be a graveyard, now I'm a flourishing little garden. <laughs> that was weird, All wasn't it? Right. <laughs> Amen. I was dead and now I'm alive. I was once in the dark, but now I have the light of Christ inside me. Yeah. So now what has countered what is the greatest problem of the universe, which is sin, which is yeah. you and your sin, here comes the resolution to the problem of your deadness. All right. It's Amen. called grace. And it's grace plus nothing. And it's the grace of God. Because again, just get a press on us. You can't bring yourself to life because you're dead. Paul is hounding this and pounding is a better word. In our souls, you can't bring anything to the table. This is how salvation works. But... God made us alive in Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. Now check out verse 8. He says this, For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves, but it's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Paul is giving us the gospel, Christianity. And I've said this many times, not Christianity 101. The gospel is not Christianity 101. You never graduate from the gospel. It's not gospel. Now, thrower, give me something deep. Give me some deep revelation so I could feel so super spiritual and I could do nothing with it other than just absorb, absorb, absorb. Give me just something deep so I could feel like I'm so spiritual and higher than everybody else. Perhaps you've misunderstood the gospel. Perhaps you've not experienced the grace of God. This is why we were singing these songs this morning about this grace of God, because we have to constantly remind ourselves of this. Because I'm prone to wonder, I'm prone to uh, try to put things in my own power. I'm try to, I try to work out my own salvation by, by doing good, by being good. But it ain't nothing, it ain't none of that. 
It's by God's grace, by the faith that He gives us. Because you know why? That God had to give you the grace? Spoiler alert, you were dead. Okay. <laughs> How can you have faith if you're dead? So even that was God's work in you. So here is what Paul is offering to us, that it's grace alone. All right? Amen. And this is what we get from uh, what, what, what stood in the face of uh, the Catholic Church what Martin Luther would stand against them and say, no, 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 no. It's not works. It's grace alone. Yeah. So where we get the solas when, of the church. Four of them are, are the grace, uh, grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Amen. Amen. It's grace that God gives plus nothing. Okay. So he points this out because this is what Paul always does. Paul always points out that it's just grace and it has nothing to do with anything you can do with any of your works. And Martin Luther, he, he wanted to point that out. And that is what broke as the Protestant, the protest of, and, and we're about to celebrate that on October 31st. It's not about Halloween. It's about us dressing up like a monk looking dude uh, named Martin Luther, which I plan on doing, uh, maybe, <laughs> if I'm not the unicorn that I anticipate being. <laughs> Anyway, um, and so here's what, here's what Martin Luther would say about this, especially particularly about the gospel, because Martin Luther was just, he was an incredible guy. I would encourage you to read him. He says, the truth of the gospel, which is the grace of God, the truth of the gospel is the principal article of the Christian doctrine. Most necessary is that we know this article well, teach it to others, and listen to how much I just want to be like Martin Luther so much. Teach it to others and beat it into their heads continually. <laughs> I like that guy. I'm going to be more like him now. If you didn't think I was rough, just wait. Start beating us with the mark. Grace! Could you imagine? That would be incredible. No, I wouldn't. You'd, you'd leave, and that would make me sad. So, but, I would, but listen to this, though. You beat it into your soul because you have to constantly remind yourself of the grace of God. Because we quickly, especially as Southern Americans, we quickly want to base things off of how good we are. Here's how I know this is true. Because what we'll do is we'll compare our morally upright, good self, and we'll compare ourselves to somebody else who isn't as morally upright as we are. Okay. And we'll say, well, I don't drink like they do, so I'm better. Okay. Oh, I don't sleep around like that person, so that makes me better. Oh, I don't do this. I don't cuss like they do. I don't do all those things. I don't have row rage like the pastor does, and I'm better than them. And so, you know what we're doing? We're like, we're making out our Christianity off of this good works thing. Paul is saying that's heresy. You can't bring anything to the table. And many occults out there would tell you that it's grace plus good works. Don't buy into it. 
This is a firm doctrine of even the Mormon church. In, in one of the, the Book of Mormon in Second Nephi, which is so incredibly weird, in chapter 25, verse 23, don't read it because it's weird stuff, but he says, uh, this, is a, this is a weird verse. He says, for we know that by grace we are saved. All right? And you're thinking, yeah, that's right. But then they say, comma, after all that we've done. Okay. What? After all that you can do, you're saved? That's counter the entire Bible, which is telling us what you could bring to the table is just being dead. That's all you can bring to the table. Realizing your state of depravity and your state of deadness and then in steps this incredible news for us that God in his rich and vast mercy for us has saved us by his grace. Amen. And that's incredible news. Yes, yes. Now, I know that doesn't like surge our souls as probably some other type of uh, fiery sermon would. And that's one of the dangers that you and I live in is that the message of God's grace just becomes something that we've settled with. And that we've become indifferent about or, or something that's just nominal, uh, a part of our faith, nominally a part of our, our faith. But what this should do, a practical application about God's grace should do for us is it should stir us into deeper worship with God. Amen. It should stir our joy because look at the next verse that he says in verse 10. You are the workmanship of God created by him for what? Good works. So I love this because this is an incredible uh, picture that Paul paints for us. And I love it because uh, the, the nerd inside of me wants to think about an incredible musician like Beethoven. And he's like, you are Beethoven's, the universe's Beethoven's fifth symphony. You are God's workmanship. So think about that. Okay. You are a piece of art to the Lord. That's, that's pretty powerful. But not just so you can be all pretty and stuff. He didn't save you so that you can clean your act up and, and be a good-looking, morally upright Christian. No. He saved you to do Good work. So it's less about you getting your ticket out of hell and more about you getting your butt up and doing some work. So, so, so a view of salvation and a common error that we have about salvation is that God just saved me from the fiery damnation of hell. And we'll go to weird things to talk about the judgment of God. And the flames of the eternal damnation are waiting for you. In the attempt to scare the hell out of us, that is not the purpose of salvation. It's not to give you some ticket from Satan's grip. Okay. Credible benefit, must add. Because <laughs> I don't want to go there. But salvation, listen to what he says. You've been saved because before the...
foundation of the earth, God ordained you and created you to do something with your life. Yeah. That's a purpose of salvation. Yes, you do. It's not just so, oh, look what I've got. I've got God's grace. Look at me. Look at me. It's like, it's like, look what God has done for me. It's not just for you, the salvation that God has given you. It's for others. It's for you to go out and tell the good news. It's for you to go out and declare the works of God that's happened in your life. It's for you to go and say, I was dead and now I'm alive in Christ. It's for you to now go to these other dead walking zombies around you and talk about the goodness of the Lord. That's our practical application when it comes to a doctrine of salvation. That, that, that we are used by God. We are saved by God. Saved from who we used to be in our dead state. Saved into good works. Now, I know that might have just caused some of you to second guess. We're like, well, I thought you said salvation wasn't through works. It did. Because works, works is not, it's not the root of our salvation. It's just the fruit of our salvation. And where there are no fruits, there ain't no root. Remember what Jesus did when he saw the... Oh, I'll say it one more time. Jesus saw that fig tree that wasn't producing fruit. Went all landscaper on him and zapped him with his weed killer. Likewise, hear the caution in this. Where there is no fruit, there will be a cutoff and a pruning. Okay. So you have been saved to do good works Amen. and to produce a fruit. And so I look around our community. And I know a lot of self-proclaimed followers of Christ. Self-proclaimed. And I know very few who have a fruit of the gospel in them. Amen. And I know some of you are probably, well, you can't judge me. What? I'm not I'm telling you a fact. Right? What is the common thing that is said don't judge me have you ever read the Bible have you ever read Paul he's savage man all he did was like judge folks like a bunch of heathens you ain't doing nothing with your life you're a bunch of no good for nothing Jews and Gentiles dogs and he calling you his homeboy you are a dog. That's what he's saying. That was not a hit on Georgia, by the way. Um, that's, this is what he's saying here. And so Christ is looking for some people who got some that grace, receive that grace, and who will produce some fruit. Would you, would you venture around and, and just, you don't have to scan the room too much. But, but I'd like to challenge us a little bit if I can. It doesn't take you, you don't have to be a scholar. 
You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a follower of Christ for at least a minimum of 15 years. You've, you've, just got to be, you've just got to be raised from your deadness into the light of Christ Amen. to do good works. Yeah. Can I challenge us a little bit and say, let's, can we do some good works? Yeah. And I'm not just going to tell you to go, it's not just about helping somebody out. It's, can you proclaim what God's done for you? Yeah. Okay. Can you tell about the good deeds of the Lord? Can you go proclaim about salvation? Because Paul would later on and say in Romans that how will they even know about him? If by your words you're not declaring it. Notice he doesn't say by your actions. By your words. So I want to challenge us this morning that this is what a doctrine of salvation looks like. It looks like a church who's going, making disciples, and being a witness. And I'm going to tie that into every single one of my sermons from here on out. I don't even know if it applies or not. I'm just going to say it. All right. We, we're working by making disciples and being a witness and going. That's how we're doing that. Now, this is what God has called us into. This is what salvation looks like. And I just want to challenge us this morning. Can we live that out in our life? Because this is what Christ is calling us into. That he saved us into good works for the greater good of our brothers and sisters for the glory of God. Amen. Let me pray for it. Thanks for tuning in to Refuge Point Church's broadcast. We hope you were both challenged and encouraged by today's message. We would love for you to join us at one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play.